Well, good morning, RCC. It, uh, it's good to be with you uh, today. If you're new or this is your first time with us, I want to welcome you. My name is uh, Ben Seaman. I serve on staff here as our uh, lead pastor. We are right in the middle of a five-week teaching series called Enemies of the Heart. And the reason why we're doing this series really is because the heart is everything in terms of deciding if you want to follow Jesus or not and also be developed by him. Now, typically in Western America, we think that the brain makes all the decisions. But in the Hebrew mind, the heart is the seat of emotions, but also where the decisions of the will take place. And so a lot of our desire to follow Jesus or walk away from him, that's always an option too. And to be developed by him doesn't necessarily come from the head, but it comes from the heart. And we talked about in week one, two weeks ago, that at a young age, we're told really to be on our best behavior. Uh, if your childhood was like mine, every time I went on a date with a girl, which wasn't much, uh, went to church, uh, basically any public forum that I could possibly embarrass my parents, they would tell myself and my two brothers, be on your best behavior. So we learned at a very young age, good behavior can get you far in life. Uh, but we've also learned throughout this series, like Pharisees, just because someone is acting well or correctly or morally on the outside doesn't necessarily mean that they're at peace on the inside or that their intentions are good. And sometimes, a lot of times in the local church, we can be so passive aggressive that if somebody just has good behavior, well, then they, just might, they, they must be a mature Christian. And so last week, we talked about the first emotion, which is the emotion of guilt. And if guilt could communicate what it wants, it would say that I owe you. I did something to you, uh, or even in traumatic situations, a victim could say, um, I owe my accuser or my abuser something, because apparently I must have done something wrong for this to happen to me. But today we're going to talk about, I would argue, the most, uh, the deadliest emotion I've seen it uh, destroy families, rip apart marriages, uh, break up long-time friendships, and really put people at odds with each other. And that's the emotion of anger. And if guilt says, I owe you, anger says, no, you owe me. And probably more emphatically, you owe me right now. Uh, oftentimes in the Christian church uh, and in our spiritual development in our walks, we're not really sure what to do with anger. Uh, William Barkis, Bacchus, sorry, in his book, Telling the Truth or Telling Yourself the Truth, talks about five misconceptions that Christians tend to believe about anger. The first one is this, that anger is bad, and if I'm a good Christian, I will never get angry. That's a very boring person, uh, because they just stuff it and suppress it, which he talks about in multiple ways. That what are you supposed to do with the emotion of anger. We like to put Jesus in a nice, pretty Sunday school box, but Jesus experienced every human emotion. Not only did he experience every human emotion, we believe at RCC that Jesus is God and he created those emotions to help us, actually. And it's how we wrestle with those and work through those that will determine if we're going to be healthy or not. Secondly, he says, anger, this is a false assumption, anger always means to yell throw things, or do whatever else it takes to drain off the emotion. 
right, which I just described 80% of the families in this room or your childhood, right? If you walked into my house in the 90s and essential oils is a thing back then, you would smell anger. Uh, my family, uh, it's my mom and dad. I'm the oldest of three boys. Nathan's a year younger than me. Graham's eight years uh, from me. So I'm 35. Wow, Graham's 28 and Nathan's 34. And so there was constant yelling, constant fighting, cussing each other out, breaking stuff. But on Sunday, man, we went through that magic door. You know, talk, we have one where you, families walk in. And it's like, hey, how's it going? How's, but it, before you get there, it was a war zone. And so we, we, I remember in the 90s, there was this commercial for an intercom where, you, where, the, uh, where the parents are supposed to press the button and say, come on, children, come down for dinner. And all of us laughed because the way we handled conflict or just conversation in general was <clears throat> you talk to somebody first. If they don't hear you, oh, you just must, you, you should probably just raise the volume of your voice and eventually they'll hear you, hear you and demanding what you want will get it quicker. Yeah, we weren't very healthy. Number three, if I do get angry, it's always better for me to swallow the anger than to express it. Uh, That's uh, suppressing it. Number four, I have the right to be angry when the other person does not live up to my expectations. I have no choice but to stay angry as long as things don't change. No, you don't. Here's why. When Jesus says, this is how you do conflict resolution, where you're supposed to go to your uh, brother or sister, the person that offended you, and have a face-to-face conversation. In student ministry, I would say not texting or Snapchatting each other, but face-to-face conversation. It's because Jesus is telling everybody, not just Christians, that you have the right to communicate to somebody who crossed your boundaries, who upset you, who uh, offended you. But how are they going to know unless you tell them? And what's what's oddly and deviously normal is that we would rather hold on to anger and criticize them, making ourselves feel better than actually go to the person and talk to them. The final one is it's outrageous and sufferable when others do things I like, or if they fail to treat me as they ought to be treated, right? Again, not communicating your boundaries, but anger actually is a healthy emotion. Primarily anger says, when when anger wells up in you, it says this one thing, something's wrong. I'm not being treated fairly. My family's being taken advantage of. This person is, you know, getting close to my personal bubble. This should not have happened to me. Anger is a good emotion that tells you that you are uncomfortable in that moment. Let me ask you a question before we continue. Uh, the, the, the book, the author talked about a lot of unmet expectations. What is one unmet expectation <clears throat> that you have from a person in your past or maybe currently that you're holding in so that you can remain angry at, right? Who is that? What is that? Think about that. What's that relationship? Because when we're angry, we tend to yell out to them, you took my reputation. You're the one that caused our family to get divorced. You're the reason why our kids don't respect us. You're the reason why... You're the reason why I can't get a job promotion. You took my purity and raped me. You're the re- reason why I'm never, I never grew up in a loving and safe home. You owe me. And sometimes when we come to church, it, it, it just puts a Sunday smile on. But inwardly, if we're honest, we're wasting away. Peter, one of Jesus' followers, kind of the spokesman for the for the disciples. If you know Peter, it's really 
better, for better or worse. Peter just kind of runs his mouth. And he, uh, he goes to Jesus and says, hey, there's, there's tension in uh, the discipleship in the, with the disciples. How many times should I forgive somebody before I can walk away and say, hey, I did my Christian duty. I don't owe them anymore. And Jesus answers that by telling the story. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to Matthew 18, 21. If not, that's fine. It'll be on the screen. Peter came to Jesus and said, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him up to seven times? We'll, tell, we'll talk about why that's important in a minute. Jesus said to him, I do not say to you up to seven times, but up to 77 times. He's kind of poking fun at Peter. We'll talk about that in a second. For this reason, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his slaves, right? So he's talking about his father has a desire to forgive everybody and have people be people of forgiveness. That's ultimately what the father's after. Verse 24, when this king, when he began to settle them, who owed uh, him 10,000 talents was brought to him. But since he, one of his servants, did not have the means to repay, his Lord commanded him to be sold along with his wife and kids and all that he had to repay uh, what he was owed. This is typical and common of the first century. So the slave fell to the ground, prostrated. That's a word we get for uh, our English word for worship. Face to the ground, nose. He's feeling the dirt come up inside of his nose. That's how much he's, uh, Jesus wants you to know that's how much he's begging. So he lies uh, face down and says, I will repay back everything that I owe. And the master actually forgives him which is kind of cool because what was owed was essentially a, a salary's worth of wages. It says the, uh, the master felt compassion and released him and forgave him of his debt. And the slave went out and found one of his other fellow slaves who owed him. Now what he owed him was basically two weeks, a month's worth of pay. And he seized him and began to choke him and say, pay back what you owe me. It's anger talking. So his fellow slave fell to the ground, worship, and began to plead with him, saying, have patience with me. I will repay you. But he was unwilling, and he went through and he went and threw him in prison until he should pay back what was owed. Obviously, you can't work in prison, so he's going to be in prison for the rest of his life. So when, verse 31, when his fellow slaves saw what had happened, they were deeply grieved and came and reported it to the Lord all that had happened, verse 32, then summoning him, his Lord said to him, you wicked slave, I forgave you all of the debt because you pleaded with me. Should you not also have had mercy on your fellow slave in the same way that I had mercy on you? And his Lord moved, was moved with anger, handed him over to the torturers until he should pay everything that was owed him. Verse 35, Jesus says, this is important. This is, this is heavy, but, but, but it's good. This is how important forgiveness is, friends. My heavenly father will also do the same to you if each of you does not forgive his brother from your heart. That's some, that's some heavy stuff. P Peter, Peter's trying to be a good, a good Jewish boy. And he says, Jesus... There's some, there's some trouble. Uh, there's some disciples that are at each other's throats. How many times do I have to forgive them before I can walk away? Now, every question, uh, maybe about one or two, that is asked of Jesus is from the Torah, the first five books of the Old Testament 
uh, my Jewish friend's sacred text, the first five books of the Old Testament. So it's good for us to get familiar with the Old Testament because it's every question that Jesus is asked about. And what Peter is referring to is a teaching from the Old Testament that says this, if a man commits a transgression the first, second, and third time, he's forgiven. The fourth time, he is not forgiven. So I kind of love Peter. He's probably the youngest of whatever his brothers and sisters are. He goes up to Jesus and says, Jesus, I know the Old Testament says, forgive somebody three times, and on the fourth time, you can just walk away. But you know, you're, you're Jesus. You turn, wine into, you turn water into wine at weddings. You're, you're a big deal around here. So let's be better. Let's be more moral than the other Jewish men who follow their rabbis. And can we forgive people seven times? Can we, can we double it? So that on the eighth time, someone, someone says, will you forgive me? We just walk away. Say, nope, I did my religious duty. I don't know you anything. And Jesus, who's such a smart aleck sometimes, I love his humor. He goes, well, just make it 77 times then. You know, you can always see Peter, right? Like, I'm wondering if he's the youngest. Like, hmm, Judas is good at counting. Maybe we can come here, have him come over. It's, okay, maybe that didn't land well. Maybe we, Judas can come over and keep track of how many times I've forgiven someone so on the 78th time I can walk away. And Jesus says, Peter, you're asking me the wrong question. You want to know how to behave. I'm trying to teach you how to become like me. Stop asking me how many times does it take to fulfill your religious duty before you walk away. Start asking me not how many times do I need to forgive, but how do I be a forgiving person? It's almost as Jesus says, okay, we'll do three. Let's just do three. Let's just be lazy. Peter, what happens the fourth time? Because if you don't choose to forgive the fourth time, the anger is going to be in you. And like the author said, you're going to stuff it down. And we're so foolish, aren't we? We're so foolish at times where if we think we just stuff it down, we've worked it out. But the anger is overworking us, isn't it? Peter, go ahead and make seven times. Because on the eighth time, are you, are you not going to forgive them? Because the anger is going to do the same. Well, what about 77 times, Peter? Are you not going to forgive them on the 78th time? Stop asking me how many times you can forgive someone to fulfill your Sunday school duty and let me teach you how to be a forgiving person. That's why, friends, the big idea of this series is who you are becoming is more important than what you're doing. It's almost like Jesus is saying, Peter, your heart's showing. You're trying to be a good Christian boy, aren't you? I want you to be a disciple. I don't want you to be a good Christian boy. I want to teach you how to forgive that no amount of times that you need forget. you're always willing to extend forgiveness. And that's why, friends, the big idea for today is this, that forgiveness is the antidote to anger. Forgiveness is the antidote to anger. I get it. It looks good. Like, it sounds like I'm intelligent. It looks nice on the screen, right? But this is a journey. Almost as if Jesus saying to Peter, if you're not willing to be a person of forgiveness, you will always be racked with anger. It will control you, it will paralyze you, and it will eat, literally eat you alive. It will destroy your relationships, your marriages, your friendships. It will cost you jobs and promotions. It will literally destroy you. And that's why I think Jesus uses such harsh language at the end of that text, because he knows that unresolved anger 
will destroy us as much as the punishment of that servant that he had to endure in prison. And what I'd, what I'd like to do through our time this morning is simply just share with you my personal journey. Uh, anger is my emotion that I wrestle with the most. Uh, uh, high D, firstborn, high sense of fairness. Uh, I had to wait longer to get my license. I had to wait longer to ride my bike off the street. We're like pretty close to downtown Cincinnati. Uh, to kind of give you a reference point, I always had to wait longer. So I always had this sense of that's not fair. And I, I just want to share with you three ideas that I took from this text. And I hope that this is, this is going to feel uh, mo- more likely like a devotional than maybe a sermon. And I hope that's okay. And the first one is this, that anger wants to imprison what forgiveness wants to release. Anger wants to imprison what forgiveness uh, wants to release. In December of, I think it was like 2003, I was home from college. My brother was home from college, his freshman year of, uh, of break. And Graham was somewhere, we didn't know, his middle school, whatever. Uh, he was somewhere at a friend's house spending the night. And so my, my brother and I were at a friend's house. Uh, we had a pretty phenomenal youth group. So we were there playing Euchre. If you're familiar with the Midwest, then you know that Euchre is the best card game you can play. Invite me over, uh, I like my steak medium rare, and I'll teach you. Um, so it'd be, it'd, be, it'd be a great learning experience. See what I did there? Uh, so we were over there playing euchre, and uh, <clears throat> Nathan's, Nicoya, I can't, those, those phones back in the day where you can play that, like, yeah, that like snake game back in the day, remember that? Wow, we're old. And the, his phone rings, and he picks it up, and says, hello, and it's my mom. Well, that, that's weird, because parents, you know that if you have college uh, kids that coming home for the holidays is a, is a bartering game, right? You're trying to get your kids home for dinner as much as possible, and they want to hang out with their friends as much as possible. So we were hanging out with our friends, and we were blown away that my mom called us, right? Pretty, pretty presumptuous, 20, 19 and 20 year olds. And Nathan said, mom called you. We need to get home now. And I thought, this isn't, this isn't good. There, there was fighting. There's always been fighting, like I said. If you can't hear somebody yell louder, eventually somebody will. I just, it didn't sit right with my spirit. And so we got in the car, our little beater that we all have in college, drove across Cincinnati, and it was a beater because our car warmed up as soon as we pulled into the driveway. Yeah, you know what I'm talking about. It's like, what's the point of this? But the whole way there, silent night came over uh, in my head, and it was this eerie feeling because the snow was pure, and, and I love snowfall. It's so gentle and quiet, Right. But it also really exposes what's going on inside. And I, and I knew that that night it would not be so silent. We got home, walked into the living room. TV's on the left. Behind the TV uh, were, were the uh, stairs going upstairs, all the bedrooms. My mom was sitting on the right side of the living room crying. We knew Graham was at uh, his friend's house, and we couldn't find my dad. And my mom said, I need you to sit down, boys. I need to tell you something. It's going to rock your world. Uh, you're not going to be the same after this. We're like, what, what, what's going on? Like, not Mike and Debbie, because Mike plays drums at a church of 1800, started a men's ministry. They do dumb men things like go camping in January in the Smoky Mountains. Actually, they loved it. It was fun. Uh, my, my parents helped start a marriage weekend retreat. Like, they're the perfect couple, right? And so my mom asked me to sit down, and she said, I need to tell you something. I was getting ready to go to bed. Your dad was in the bathroom brushing his teeth. And I um, began to get dressed for the evening, and I opened my sock drawer, and there was a bag in there, which was odd, because my mom is super clean. She's super clean. 
And she reached in and she said, I found a bag that was filled with cocaine in it. And she paused and she looked at us. Now, it's not mine. I would not put it in your sock drawer if it was. Um, and she said, uh, I, I took the bag and I went to the bathroom where your dad was. And uh, I said, Mike, is, is, this, is this yours? A, sh- a shouting match ensued, cussing, yelling. Um, and, and that's what happens when you're angry. Angry people are very so, uh, uh, so, uh, defensive. And uh, he, he basically, I wasn't there, but probably pushed my mom out of the way, grabbed the bag, took off for the night. My mom hadn't seen him in an hour or two. And when my dad left, after she got herself together, after bawling her eyes out, she called us to come home. And that was the night that anger destroyed my family. 13, 50 months after that, my parents divorced on the anniversary that they met 22, 23 years before that. I don't know if you know Bob Evans. It's a breakfast joint in the Midwest. My dad walked in to get breakfast, and my mom was a waitress, and that's how they started dating. Uh, I, was, I, was, I was angry, but you know this is Sunday morning. I was other things that I'm probably not allowed to say on Sunday morning. And uh, I, just, I just went into my hole. I, I was a terrible friend, terrible son, terrible brother. Now, keep in mind, I'm also in Bible college studying to be a pastor. <laughs> And two weeks later, I had to go to that church of 1800 and sing Silent Night. I thought God was a joke. Love is just something that, you know, you sing in a country song. It had no relevance. It had no meaning. And I, and I buried myself in anger. I later found out that my dad's first memory of his father was actually during Christmas. He was beating my grandmother uh, physically and berating her verbally, and he took the little uh, like wooden truck that parents would put kids in and, you know, as they go for a walk. He took that and hurled it at, um, I th- believe it was my grandma. She thankfully ducked and got out of the way. Everything shattered into pieces. And that was back then when women were second-class citizens and there, there wasn't counseling and professional help and there wasn't that information out there. And so my grandma suffered at the hands of his grandfather's anger, which went to my father, which went to me. Do you see the generational sin that's happening here? And so my dad left at 18, took his drum set, which by the way, he's probably the best unsigned drummer that I've ever seen. Uh, And I've been to a lot of concerts. And uh, he took his drums and left. And what he did throughout his young adulthood is he buried his anger with cocaine, with alcohol, with every drug imaginable. And men, we do this because when we're angry, we would need something to control. And when we can't control our wives or our kids, we turn to alcohol, we turn to drugs, we turn to porn, we become workaholics, we become overbearing with how we spend our money and we should save more or spend more. And it literally destroys our families. The second idea that I took from this is that anger wants to keep you isolated. Uh, but forgiveness wants to expose what's going on in community. When, when I was, uh, after that conversation, probably the second half of my career in college, I, uh, I did not go home. I, I actually, there's a stretch of highway from Indiana to Ohio, it's called 74, that once I hit 74, I uh, physically began to shake. I would later find out from a counselor, I suffer from PTSD to, due to childhood trauma, of being in a hellhole, and I don't say hellhole to cuss or to be edgy, I mean to describe what happened in my home. 
Do I love my parents? Yes. Did I have a phenomenal childhood? Yes. My dad bought me my first guitar. I played baseball growing up. I had a great experience. But there is this thing that was destroying our family. And I would not see a counselor. I would not talk to any of my Bible college professors who knew what was going on and, was, and they were praying that I would come clean. Friends, I'm not surprised that in verse 28, the first servant that was forgiven a year's wage, the scripture says he went out or he went away. That's, that, you need to pay attention to that when you're reading the gospels. It's the same thing that happens to the prodigal son in Luke 15. When we go away from the king, we're kind of on our own and left to our own demise, right? We're grateful, honestly, that there's this idea, this concept of forgiveness, but we're not so quick to forgive other people who owe us money or who owe us a life that they completely destroyed or who owed us the marriage back, who owes us our purity back or who owes us a safe home to grow up in. And we typically, if we're not handling it well, we isolate ourselves and we go off into the far country, as the Bible says, and we try to fend for ourselves, and we're broken. We're broken. I was talking to my brother, uh, actually two weeks before I came out here, knowing that anger was coming up <laughs> in, in the series. You know, three weeks in, they'll, they'll either love me or fire me after this, right? So I'm just bearing, bearing my soul, because that's the kind of church I want to be a part of. I don't want to be part of a church that's filled with pretentious religious people that are just fake on the outside. Um, so I talked, to, uh, I talked to my brother, Nathan, who, well, all three of us are in ministry, so you go figure that out. Um, <laughs> my dad does not sell the gospel. He sells other things, but, we're, but we all ended up in ministry, which is a miracle. And I asked my brother, Nathan, I said, if the Seaman family came to your church, he lives in Charlotte, um, what, how would you describe that family? And without even blinking an eye and, and even thinking about it, he said, normal, normal. Because think about it, Ben. Our parents, they taught Sunday school. My dad, dad was drummer of a church of 1800. Dad started a men's ministry. Mom and dad helped with the marriage retreat that they would do every weekend. They, they were the party animals. They were super fun to be around, so people flocked to them. They, they, um, they, they provided food if their small group, uh, someone had passed away or was sick or had a child. I mean, when, when it came out, everybody was shocked. And Nathan said, that, that's normal. People that are overly involved in church, super busy, working their calendars to death and not addressing what's actually going on in their heart. And, and that's why I'm in ministry, friends, uh, be, because I know what goes behind, what happens behind closed doors. I know what it's like to put on the mask on Sunday morning and then go home and just be in a war zone. I know what that's like. And it's taking a lot of healing, a lot of time. This is not like just forgive the person, everything's fine. No, forgiveness is changing your mind, but forgiveness also, the Hebrew understanding of forgiveness, we'll talk about this more in January, is a change in direction. It's that long walk that the prodigal son took from the pig pen all the way back to his father. So forgiveness looked like for me, counseling putting myself around Christian men that loved me and were for me, talking to my college professors and knowing that at any moment I can go back to that like an alcoholic to a drink or porn addict to pornography or a drug addict to his drug. I know that I can quickly go back to that because it's a defense mechanism that I use to cope when I don't know what's going on or I feel like my life's out of control. Last idea I want to share with you, friends. 
Anger wants to minimize my life's impact, where forgiveness wants to maximize my life's exponential impact. My dad would always tell me this. As, as flawed as he was, Ben, you are your own worst enemy, man. <laughs> you go from zero to 10 in two seconds. And that's true. That's true. And that's why Jesus says, Peter, it's not an amount. It's a lifestyle. Because the impact that I want you to have is not dwindled down to a math equation where you've forgiven somebody four times, seven times, or whatever the other one, 77 times. It's about a lifestyle. Anger is not going to go away once you meet the religious quota. It will be with you for the rest of your life. Let me show you what it's like, as Paul will later write, to be at peace with everybody. I want you to have influence. I want you to have impact. But if you're going to stuff down your anger and hold it against somebody unbeknownst to them, even if, even if they abused you, they raped you, they hit you, they, they, they ignored you when you were growing up, even if all of that is true and you do, if you keep stuffing it down, it will overwork you and it will throw you to the mat. And you'll go to church, you'll, you'll do Bible studies, you'll die, you'll, you'll go to heaven for sure. But you're going to miss out on the life. Peter, Peter you're going to miss out on the full life that I have for you. It's not about a number. It's about your life. What I'd like to do, friends, before uh, uh, we're going to go into communion here in just a moment. So if our volunteers tears would get ready for that, that'd be helpful. I, I, I want to pray a prayer for the angry. So if anger is your emotion, I have a prayer that I want to want you to think through. It'll be on the screen here for you to look at. And I'm going to read it for you a few times. And I, I want you to just take a moment Think about that person or that situation that has not met your expectation and you're holding anger against them. The prayer for the angry reads this, Heavenly Father, someone has taken this from me. I have held on to this debt long enough. I choose to cancel this debt. This person doesn't owe me anymore. Just as you forgive me, I forgive this person. Now, now look, I don't want to trivialize this. This could be the first step into your freedom. That, that may mean pastoral counseling, uh, a professional counselor, getting in a small group. But this could be the first step for you. Let me read it again. Heavenly Father, this person has taken this from me. You need to own it, friends. You need to say it. I have held on to this debt long enough. I choose to cancel this debt because this person doesn't owe me any more. Just as you forgive me, I'm going to forgive this person. Let's pray that prayer. I'll walk you through it, and it'll be on the screen throughout communion for you to sort of take it in and think about it and dwell on it more. Let's pray.